Uh, now, the atopic dermatitis guidelines that were published uh, back in 2014 by the American Academy of Dermatology very quickly became outdated because we have new therapies that are, were approved subsequently. And so we had chrysoboral, topical chrysoboral as a topical phosphodiesterase C4 inhibitor approved for mild to moderate disease back in 2017 or 2016 at the end was first available to us to use in 2017, was approved from ages two and up. Subsequently, we got approval for ages three months and up. Um, it is a topical non-steroidal. The recommendation is to put it on a thin layer twice daily. Uh, and this has shown a remarkably good uh, safety profile um, in the trials and uh, post-approval. Uh, but the one thing we do see come up is application site stinging or burning um, as a fairly common adverse event. Um, this is just a snapshot of a lot of data that have been presented um, already from the phase three pivotal studies, 8301302. These are uh, identically designed vehicle controlled um, uh, studies uh, looking at topical cristoboral uh, in um, uh, patients with mild to moderate disease, children, adolescents, and adults. And uh, we see significant in, uh, improvements in terms of the proportion of patients who achieve the investigator static global assessment scores of clear, almost clear with a two-grade improvement. This is the FDA's preferred endpoint in the United States for regulatory approval. We see uh, even higher rates of patients who achieve clear, almost clear skin without the two-grade improvement requirement. And we also see significant improvements in terms of the uh, percent reduction uh, for itch. Uh, and that shows already by week one, substantial reductions, significant reductions um, compared to vehicle. Now there's some post-doc, uh, there's actually been many post-doc studies that have been done looking at the data from the 8301 and 302 studies. Uh, this is one, uh, that I had the privilege of uh, taking the lead on, and uh, where we looked at different severities. And the background for this is because we know that this, the approval for Cristoboral is for patients with mild to moderate disease. But if you actually look at the baseline severity characteristics of patients, you had a body surface area ranging from 5% to 95%. Someone with 95% may have mild lesions, but that's really a more moderate to severe patient slipping into the trial. So we wanted to look at the uh, improvements, the reductions in severity stratified by other tools, not just the ISGA, but other tools that may reveal the patient actually has more severe disease. So one was body surface area. And you can see on the left uh, that even amongst patients who have very high body surface area, uh, that uh, Crisoboral uh, showed significant improvements um, compared to vehicle. And in fact, the more severe and extensive the disease, the more effective, the, the greater the vehicle control delta was for Crisoboral. Um, and so similarly, when we look at something called the atopic dermatitis severity index, which looks at the individual signs of the disease um, added up as well as itch, we also see that the more severe patients actually had an even greater differential with Crisoboral compared to uh, the vehicle, uh, compared to the milder patients. Now, we have another important postdoc analysis that looked at the uh, efficacy of Crisoboral uh, stratified by different races and ethnicities. 
And this is very important because um, so much of our, you know, so many of our studies lack diversity in terms of the uh, patient populations that are recruited. And we're often left with all these unanswered questions about how well different drugs might work in diverse patient populations. And here we see uh, from this postdoc analysis that Crisoboro worked well in both white and non-white patients and worked as well in uh, Hispanic uh, and non-Hispanic patients. And so demonstrating that there is good effectiveness across these different patient populations. We also have uh, a phase four open label study that was done in children ages three months to 23 months. And this, these are the data that were used to give us the label update that got us the approval from ages three and up. And we see, even though it's open label, which is always a challenge, right? It's not vehicle control, it's open label. But um, with this, we see overall similar uh, efficacy rates in this open label study in terms of ISGA clearance, and ISGA success rates compared to what we're seeing in the 8301 and 302 uh, vehicle-controlled studies. No new toxicity signals that came up. Um, and uh, so with this uh, very nice data, uh, we had a label update. Now we have approval for ages three months and up. Uh, now let's turn to dupilumab. Now dupilumab was approved in 2017, uh, March of 2017 for, uh, at that time, adults, with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. We got an update for adolescents in March of 2019, and we got an update for children ages six and up uh, in March, I believe March of this year. And uh, the approved language is moderate to severe disease inadequately controlled with topical therapies or topical therapies are contraindicated. The mechanism of action here is um, it is a biologic, a monoclonal antibody that targets interleukin-4 receptor alpha subunit. Uh, inhibiting the signaling of interleukins 4 and 13. Uh, and there's slightly different dosing regimen li as listed here for different age groups, recognizing that different age groups often come also with different weight groups. In terms of safety, overall a good safety profile, uh, the big issues that come up would be injection site reactions, although this is not a major problem in clinical practice. The eye issues in terms of conjunctivitis, eye pruritus, et cetera, which uh, comes up a fair amount. Most of the time is mild, but something we do have to navigate. There is a, sl a slight signal, but it's there for uh, oral herpes, just cold sores, not a signal for eczema, hepatic, or herpes zoster. Uh, and then there's also something that has shown up in, the, in our anecdotal experience, although, and, and now in most publications, as well for facial erythema, which is often goes together with that conjunctivitis that happens with uh, the drug as well. There are just an absolutely extraordinary amount of data available now showing the efficacy and effectiveness of dupilumab um, in children and adults. Uh, I, we don't have the time to cover all of that, but I'm going to show you uh, some of the, the most important pivotal data. On this slide, we see data from the flagship monotherapy study, SOLO1, SOLO2. No background topical therapy allowed uh, in these studies, and two different dosing regimen were tested. Uh, dupilumab once weekly uh, or dupilumab every other week uh, at a 300 milligram dose, both getting a 600 milligram loading dose. Uh, both dosing, both doses overall showed similar results uh, in terms of their efficacy, and both were highly statistically significant compared to the placebo. And so the FDA gave us the lower dose of every other week dosing. Um, and uh, we see uh, roughly 35 to 40 percent of patients. 
uh, being treated with dupilumab who achieved this IgA clear, almost clear with a two-grade improvement and approximately 50% of patients who achieved an easy 75 response. Uh, there are many, many, many post-hoc analyses that have been presented with dupilumab data. When we look particularly at itch, which of course, as we talked about already, it's the most common symptom, it's the most burdensome symptom. Um, you don't have to wait 16 weeks, which was the time of their primary efficacy endpoints. Uh, significant reductions in itch were already observed as early as day two or day three. So that's just after the loading dose. Um, and uh, depending on which outcome and which trial is examined, uh, maybe as early as day two or day three for meaningful improvements. So it's not everyone who's getting those improvements early on, but it's already significant compared to the vehicle early on. And if you look at the curves, there is no clear indication of a plateau, which looks like over time, as we move beyond that two week period and certainly even beyond the 16 week period, there's continued improvements in terms of itch. Uh, now, one of the tricky parts about interpreting the, uh, the IgA success rates, again, this is the FDA's preferred efficacy endpoint. Now the FDA likes this endpoint because they feel that patients don't understand the nuances of being 75% better or 82% better as some random number. They know, am I clear or am I not? So they like that endpoint as being patient intuitive. The problem is it's almost too rigorous to tell us what a meaningful improvement is. A patient might be really happy and doing really well, but they still have a couple of lesions left over or some mild itch left over. So the IgA clear, almost clear may miss what are actually very important clinical improvements. So this is uh, a presentation of data, a postdoc that I had the privilege of taking the lead on looking at how did patients do if they were non-responders, so-called non-responders by this ISGA score, IGA score, clear, almost clear. And what we found was that even amongst those who were labeled as non-responders, high proportions of patients achieved easy 75 responses, had significant reductions in easy score, significant improvements in quality of life, significant improvements in terms of itch. So not everyone, you know, plenty of patients did well, even if they were not uh, responders by regulatory definition. Uh, now, there's some also very important data to think about in terms of real-world effectiveness and disease, you know, drug persistence. Now, there's lots and lots of data from all over the world, uh, but these, uh, this is a, a study that I had the privilege of, of taking the lead on looking at uh, real-world drug persistence in the United States amongst the, those early adopters in 2017, 2018 post-approval. Uh, and what was found was that there was a 92% uh, persistence, continued use of dupilumab at six months, about a 77% persistence at 12 months. And, uh, but we certainly need to know more uh, about what happens longer term. Um, and even amongst those who had initially discontinued uh, a high proportion, almost 80% needed to get back onto drug uh, and were back on uh, within four months. Uh, so despite the approval of, of these different novel agents, um, we still unfortunately see suboptimal control of the disease in many patients. Uh, these are data from a cross-sectional survey of 150 clinicians, almost 750 patients with moderate to severe disease. And, uh, and this is in 2018, post the approval, shortly after the approval of, the, of dupilumab and crisoboral and the inadequate control rate was still 42%. And so that was an improvement when compared to data from 2014 that showed almost 60% inadequate control. So that's great, 
but it was still 40%. And so that tells us that there's still more needed. 